You're going to clap for something eventually. You're going to bow to something eventually. You're going to shout for something eventually. You're going to sing. You're going to do all of that. Why not do that for the Lord? Why not prioritize the Lord and all of that? It's funny because oftentimes I talk to people and they're like, oh, I come to your church and you guys clapping all the time and, you know, shouting and doing all these things. I don't do that. That's not me. That's not really my culture. That's not how I was raised. And then you go and watch them watch the bears. Seriously, no doubt. I, I could... I I wish I could name the person. They're in my family, and they told that whole thing to me. That's not me. You know, that's not the way, way I am. It's not, not culture. And one time at a family gathering, I watched this guy watch the bears. And this guy was nuts. He got up out of his couch at least three or four times, got this close to the flat screen, yelled at it, got back down. When something good would happen, he would clap and shout. I, I'm not, has anybody met anybody like that? Because I'm, I'm not even over-exaggerating. I know there's people who can watch and chill, but I, but I literally just caught it at that moment. Man, dude, it's, it's not that you're not like this. It's just you don't like God. You just don't like God. You like the bears, but you don't like God. You're not excited about things like that. You know, uh, a thing, the things of God. You, it's not that we don't get excited. It's, it's that we don't get excited for the right thing, sadly, most of the time. And so this church, we allow people to get excited and to experience the things of God. And the way I like to compare it is if, uh, you know, you touched a live wire of electricity. Uh, we would all have different <laughs> expressions. How many know if we tested that right now? We would all have different expressions. Some might be like, mm, what just happened? You know, somebody might be like, ah! You know, somebody might go, oh, you know, we're all going to have different expressions when we touch God or God touches us. Some of you just may want to be contemplative and be, mm, that's good, God, thank you. Others may be like, whoa, hallelujah, you know, and do that. But I guarantee you, if you serve the Lord long enough, you're going to have all those expressions. You're going to have all those expressions. I never used to be a crier. There's criers in the church. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. You know, you know when, they, when they start testifying, they're going to start crying, you know. And that's just where their tender heart is. And I didn't used to be tender at all, you know, having kids, getting some gray hair, getting old. I'm tender now. But I never used to cry. Now I'm a crier. I always cry in God's presence. Before I used to shout in God's presence like I was his David, you know, I'm going to go kill Goliath for you, Lord. I'm ready, you know. And then now it's just a little tear coming down my eye in my prayer closet. God, you're good. You've been so good to me. I don't deserve it, Lord. You're giving me all these blessings, you know. You, you will. You give yourself enough time in the presence of God. You will experience those emotions. And remember, we're not guided by emotions, but emotions are a good thing. Emotions are not a negative thing because they are part of how God created us. You can be too emotional, too into your emotions, then that's a negative thing. But how many know it's not bad to feel good? How many know it's not bad to, to let it out sometimes, a shout? They've even said, I don't know where I'm going with all this today, but are you glad you're in church? Just a little extra. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Don't worry, it's coming. But let me just share this with you. Uh, you know, one of my sub subcategories of my doctoral work was in brain science, neuroscience, you know, studying how the soul interacts with the physical brain. We know we're more than just the, the organ called the brain. We are a, a spiritual soul that occupies this body. I like to think of it like we are a driver in a car, a piano player with a piano. That's how we're using our body. And of course, if you have brain damage or physical damage, just like if you damaged a, a, a piano, you could be a great pianist but not be able to play it well or sound well, and your body can be damaged and your soul not be able to express itself well. That's why we should take care of the handicapped, the age, those who have dementia, etc., because they're still a human spirit. They're 
there's still a soul. It's just their body is a little bit out of whack. But anyways, as I was studying this, so many things that we as Pentecostals have been doing for years is all up in the books right now. For example, they talk about during times of stress, during times of anxiety, that sometimes a shout can just get your mind broken off of that, that record. Get out of that cycle, you know? And how many times have you just, you know, been in your head all day and you just get home and you're in your prayer closet and then you're like, devil, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. And something just breaks because you've been in a cycle in your head and now, seriously, your, your organs and, and your body hearing, your ears, your senses rather, hearing you shout just shook something in your, your brain cycle. It, it's an actual part of, of training yourself to get out of something. Uh, sometimes they say that, uh, you know, just, just shout, I can make it. You know, this is not who I am. And, and we do that as Christians. We've been doing that for a long time. Another thing when we think about how in, in the presence of the, of the Lord we're healing our emotions and, and spirituality is, is when you are dealing with confusion and you don't know what to do, you know that if you keep uh, trying to find a solution, like, like they say, like if you forgot something, you're trying to think about it. It's harder to think of it at that moment. It's better to stop thinking about it. How many know what I'm talking about? So let's say you come here, and all week long, you've just been thinking about uh, a divorce or somebody in your family that's sick, and you just, you just have not been able to get out, out of that cycle. But you start singing. You start worshiping. Your brain literally it reboots, in a sense, to where now you can think clearly. So when you're done singing, you're done singing and worshiping, you can go back and engage that, and you may see it from a way you never did before. That's why people go into their car, put on music. I'm putting on music. I'm going to put on music. I want to sing. I want to get my mind off of this. But when we come into the church, not only are we doing those natural things like singing and worshiping, we're also giving God a chance to talk to us. How many have come to church? and you're just worshiping God, and of course you can do this at home, but how many have experienced God's presence while you're worshiping and you get an answer to something that's been on your mind or heart before that season, before you came into that, to that moment of worship? Have you been there before? Because like it's like, because you're thinking about it, you're thinking about it, you're thinking about it, and it's hard to break that cycle. So you're just like, you know what? I'm just going to worship. I'm just going to sing. And as you're singing and you're thinking about the words and what God has done in your heart, all of a sudden just God goes, you know what? I want you to tell this person this, do this, and do this, and you're going to be at peace. And you're like, amen. God just gave you like a, a few steps to take in your worship time because he's blessing you. He's downloading, and at the same time, you're breaking that cycle. Are you ready for today's message? Amen. The harvest is plentiful. Look at your neighbor and say, are you ready for the harvest? Amen. Open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. I like to add some of those things in there every now and then as lanyap. That's, uh, that's Cajun for extra. Because we come to this church and we take it for granted all that we're doing here. And sometimes people think we're weird. No, we're just wired into heaven. We are not weird. God is doing great things in our life. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were, they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. What are the workers? 
Few, they are few. He said, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. What is Jesus' prayer request? Let's say from two send on the count of three. One, two, three, to send out workers into his harvest field. That's what I want to talk to you today about is Jesus' prayer request. Have you ever been at a Bible study and somebody said, we're going to take prayer requests now, and people began to name off their prayer requests? Have you ever been at a study like that? Have you ever had the person that says, mine's private, I don't want to mention it. Have you ever had those? And you're just like, you're special. Unspoken. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. Unspoken. I've done spoken prayer requests. God knows. And that's okay, because we're happy that you're there at the Bible study. But it's always just a little bit weird when somebody says the unspoken one, because then all of us in our mind, we want to know what that is. Oh, what crazy thing is going on in your life? Let me see if I can figure it out real quick and then sin and have to repent. No, I'm not going to judge you, but I want to know what is going on in your life that you can't tell us. It's so funny because, you know, all of our prayer requests should be spoken. So when I pray for your unspoken prayer requests, I always feel weird because what is unspoken? You know, what is I'm praying for unspoken, unspoken, unspoken is not a thing. So I usually say, just give me a general, just give me a general thing here. We're praying for family? Uh, you going to court? Like, what's going on? You know, like, give me, give me an idea what's happening here. Okay. Uh, but Jesus gave a prayer request. After Jesus had done his ministry, everybody say Jesus did his thing. I mean, we could all just sit back and watch Jesus do his thing. You know, just Jesus, do your thing. Do your thing, Jesus. You know, here, here Jesus comes. He's, he's preaching. He's healing. He's having compassion. All right, Jesus, keep doing your thing. We could watch that, and we could continue in that even now if God said, well, you know, as Jesus was on the earth as one man, I'm going to multiply a bunch of Jesuses, and those Jesuses are going to be called your pastors, and everybody just watch the pastor do the thing. Everybody say, pastor, do your thing. So pastor, you do your thing. We're going to come and watch you. We're, we're going to watch you preach. We're going to watch you pray for sick people. We're going to watch you love people. Like that's the way it could have been. But Jesus takes a moment out to give them a big picture here. And the big picture is, is he saying the harvest is plentiful. Do, do you see what's going on, uh, Peter? James, John, do you, do you get this? There are a lot of people that we are reaching right now and that I am teaching. I want you to understand something. And what does he tell them? The workers are few. He doesn't say, I want you now to be a Messiah. There's only one Messiah. There's only one Son of God. But he says, the workers are few. The workers. Everybody say, the workers now, this is what I love about our church is you get a balanced diet here. If you came last week, you would have heard about being blessed. Today you come this week, you're going to learn about being a worker. Is it either or? It's both and. God wants you blessed. God wants your family blessed. God wants you blessed on your job and your family, uh, you know, and all your goals and dreams. But he also wants you to be a worker. And so he says to them, the workers are few. So here's my prayer request. Here's what I want you to pray. I want you to pray for the workers to come into the harvest field. How many know right there he's kind of playing with them just a little bit? Because it would be like me coming to you going, would you please, please pray that someone would loan me $5? <laughs> and, and you're kind of like, okay, as you know, you got $5 in your pocket. You're like, Lord in heaven, Greatest thou art, would you please send someone with $5 to bless my dearly beloved brother? 
And what would the Lord probably say to you? Hey, man, you do it. <laughs> I got to, like, like God's going to be like, hey, you want to see an answer to prayer real quick? You do it. Amen. Prayer answered. Jesus has a sense of humor. He's literally talking to the disciples who he is training up to be his workers. And he's like, I want you to pray about God sending workers. Could you pray this honestly and not hear the answer for you to be a worker? I mean, God, I want you to send workers. Could you really pray that honestly and not hear God say back to you, I want you to be? No, you would hear right back. Okay, so you're going to be a worker, right? And now I want to help you to help others be workers. And what I want uh, to share today in our church before I go through some objections to this, what we hear in the modern church, is just to understand this is uh, what we believe about you. I believe that every single one of you are an answer to Jesus' prayer that he asked us to pray as a church. So take a journey with me. Over 15 years ago, my wife and I start a home Bible study, and we believe that this is where we're supposed to be, is in Chicago, and we start reaching, teaching, making disciples. We go to Boys Town. We go to the different places of the city, sharing our faith, meeting with uh, friends and family, whoever would give us the time of day doing discipleship. There used to be a time when the discipleship books were in black and white, print them out of a printer in my house, staple them, and hand them to you one lesson at a time. And we would pray, and we would pray, God, we ask for workers. I mean, it's fun doing ministry. I love meeting with Kevin during his work break. It's awesome going to Belmont and Clark. Jesus, I'll do this to the day I die. But, Lord, you asked me to pray for workers. I'm praying for workers, so I ask that you send some more. And then if you look at where you came at in the timeline, you came as an answer to prayer. And we're thankful for that. We don't look at you as someone we just want to use and abuse as a worker. We look at you as an answer to prayer, and we consider you to be a precious gift of God. But at the same time, there's, there's always a little bit of confusion with some, not all. Everybody say some. So this may be or may not be you, okay? This is not, this is not for everybody, but this may be for some. Somebody say some. Okay, so I don't want you emailing saying, well, pastor doesn't appreciate what we do. He was talking about me. Listen, if this is not about you, it's not about you. It's about your neighbor then, okay? Some, some, sometimes think that all we are is just a place where you get to watch what others do. Some think that. I'm going to bring my kids to King's Kids because King's Kids is on Wednesday and it's there for the kids and that's what I do. I bring my kids to King's Kids. Do you ever want to volunteer for King's Kids? No, that's not what I do. What I do is bring my kids to King's Kids. What you do is take care of my kids during King's Kids. Can I just let you into something? Somebody at King's Kids is praying for someone like you to want to volunteer to help other kids. Now, I know we all can't do everything, but I'm just telling you, sometimes we start to feel that there are some in the church that look to us like we owe it to them to serve them and never expect anything out of them. Well, that's just what the church does. I'm just going to drop off my kids. There's people who have left the church and continue using the programs and have never tithe, never give offering, and they think to themselves, that's just what that church does. Well, have they ever even considered how does that church that they keep dropping off their kids to pay the light bills? How do those people who show up at the door to check in the kids on Wednesday have their training to even do? Where did they come from? 
Where do all the resources come from? It's free for the children, but someone's paying for every juice box. Someone's paying for every, every handout. You know, how many know paper's not even free? Ink's not even free. I can't go to Kinko's and say, can I pay this with my love for the community? I want you guys to give me Kinko's paper and printouts, and what I'm going to give you back is one of these. I'm going to say back to you, this is my heart. This is my love for the community. Now, I know there's some churches that come begging everybody to do stuff for them, but that's not us. But you get my point that that, that costs something. That handout, that piece of paper costs something. That juice box, that costs something. Uh, somebody that's there checking in the kids, that's costing them their time. Somebody had to get out of work at 5 and go in traffic for an hour. Get McDonald's, come on, you're getting too happy, sister. Somebody had to get that McDonald's in the drive-thru, eating it as they're getting there so they could show up at 6 for the team meeting and be ready at 6.30. Somebody had to do do that. Otherwise, they would be knocking on a door with nobody home, nobody to answer. Sometimes, sometimes, somebody say sometimes, some people, some people think that home Bible studies is just what everybody else is supposed to do. I show up to this house, nice little treats there. That just probably came from the angel Gabriel, right? The angel Gabriel brought that old Aldi's food there, right? And so never think about who bought the food, who brought the food. No one thinks about the house needing to be clean, kids in order, but because they're just thinking, this is owed to me. This right here, this experience I call a home Bible study is owed to me. Don't need to think about the house. Don't need to think about keeping it clean. Don't need to think about the, the treats and the goodies and the coffee that somebody had to make. Just as long as somebody offers it to me, that's good. See, these are the kinds of attitudes that God wants us to avoid in the church. And I just want to let you know that if you are here, I want you to pray about being a laborer. I don't want you to feel like you have to do it out of obligation, but I want you to do it out of appreciation. Everybody should be a worker in the kingdom of God, not because of obligation, but because of appreciation. Every single one of us should find a place in the kingdom of God where we can serve and do it joyfully as unto the Lord. I think as we have grown as a church, because we've, like I said, started in a home Bible study, we've grown with our people. When I started the church, I was single. A few months uh, later, my wife and I got married. Then we started having children. And all along that journey, we've tried to make places for the single adult that just has time to burn, man. They just got time, and they're just burning it all night long. They're on Facebook. They're on TikTok. They go visit three friends, and it's only 10 o'clock at night. They still go out to 12 in the morning. Come on. They're just burning time. How many married folks with kids can say sing uh, single young adults just burn time? Now, some of you like, Pastor, don't mess with me. I have, I have my whole life organized. You don't know what I go through. I'm still telling you this right now. You are burning time. You are burning time. Wait till you have six kids and you're doing all that. You're going to realize how much time you were burning. You were just lighting it on fire. You were making it rain time. You will just wish for that time back, time you didn't even know you were burning and wasting. Woo, I'm getting free. But we realize, like, real quick, like, oh, I get it. I can't, I can't build an expectation of church workers based on young adult time. I can't build a church on that because young adult time changes when they get married. It changes when they start having kids. It changes when their career is going well, and now they're having to put in more time to their job. So we all along this way have wanted to make time for young adults, married folks, grandparents, people who have different needs or different 
paths that they're taking in their life. And I hope that you felt that we've been gracious about that. But that should never be an excuse. Our protocols, in other words, should never be excuse for you getting involved, for you being a worker. There's evangelism all throughout the week at different times. Have you actually sat down with your schedule to say, which one of these can I go to? There's Bible studies now uh, that, that, you know, we've gotten through this COVID season that are pretty much we're up in full force now all over the city, all different times. Have you thought about putting that into your schedule? And then the ones that you're going to, have you thought about volunteering to be a person that brings the chips or the coffee maybe once a month? You know, something that you can do to help the place where you're at. Have you looked at the youth ministry or the children's ministry and thought, hey, this is something that I would love to do to help pour into the next generation, Wednesday with kids, Fridays with young adults. It doesn't take a lot for all of us to start being an answer to Jesus's prayer, but we have to take it serious. We have to take it serious. So this is the part where I get confused. Somebody say some. Okay, just clarifying again. This is where I get confused, where some people look at me when I say this and they go, well, I didn't know that's what you expected. I'm like, well, what did you think a church that was built upon disciples was about? What did you think we were about? This, this is not your, your, your whatever self-help program. This is not a place where you come to a conference-style thing or a concert once a week. We believe we are the army of God. We are the body of Christ. We're all of us together. Do our part, and we make a difference. Amen? Whether it's helping in the worship band with the sound the sound team, whether it's helping with the children's ministry, whether it's helping behind the scenes in administration, we're seeing our work as unto the Lord. But now I want to be very clear. As much as I see a need in all those areas I just mentioned, there is one need that I think is always a priority, and that is going into the public, going like Jesus did, and preaching the gospel. This is the thing that I don't understand, that that sometimes people will see going out doing public ministry, they'll see that as like what the Green Beret Christians do. They'll see like, man, I'm not ready for that, like because I see you guys over there. I'm not ready. And they'll see like going out into the public as like the most extreme thing possible, and they want to like take baby steps and build up to that. And we're not here to drag you out to that, uh, to those outreaches, but I just want to ask you a question. Have you ever read the Bible? <laughs> specifically the Gospels. Have you ever read how Jesus started with the apostles? Did Jesus start with Peter and go, hey man, I got a service over here. I'm going to talk a lot. You just come and hide in the background and then I'll get to know you over the next five years as you take baby steps and then maybe I'll have you be an usher or something. Is that what you want to do, Peter? Okay, let me know because if not, I still love you and appreciate you. Okay, cool, dude. Is that what he did with Peter? No, he's out preaching. He sees Peter. He's like, come follow me and I'm going to make you a fisher of men. First sentence, first sentence of Jesus to Peter is, follow me and get out and make disciples. I don't know how much more clear Jesus could have made it to us. We are not a stagnant bunch of people. The difference between a pond or an enclosed body of water is that they can get stagnant and begin to stink and have all kinds of disease and, and, and impurities living there. But rivers that keep flowing can stay pure and clean and can filter out those things. We are not supposed to be a little pond. We're not supposed to be a, a aquarium where we all just stay nice and safe in our little bubble. We're supposed to go out into the ocean of God, flowing like a river, bringing all those we can with us. 
Amen. This is not an aquarium. This is the ocean of God. This, this, this is not preaching to the choir. We are supposed to be going out and impacting the world. And so the way I look at it is that if this was Jesus' modus operandi, his mode of operation, and then after he summarizes all of this, he says, now I want you to pray for workers to multiply what I'm doing I should do what Jesus is doing. I should be an answer to prayer. I can't look at this context and find a way out of this. Can anybody see a way out of this? I see that it's our job to go as what we could put in here, towns and villages. It's our jobs to go to different wards, different communities, different parts of the city, to different people, and to preach and teach them. Teach them in their coffee shops. Teach them at their schools. Teach them at their parks. And proclaim the good news of the kingdom. How many believe we have good news? How many believe that's still worth sharing? I mean, we need to tell people about this good news. I love what Paul Washer said once. He said, you know, we think in America they've heard the gospel and that they're gospel hardened because they've heard it so much. He said, now we're at a time that they're not gospel hardened. They're gospel illiterate. Most people don't even know the gospel anymore. How many times those of us who have gone out preaching, have you found yourself meeting the good person? I'm a good person. Dude, you don't know the gospel if you think you're a good person. No one who says that knows the gospel. If you ever met somebody on the streets and they were talking about Jesus, would you say like, no, man, I don't need that. I'm a good person. I'm all right. I'm good. No one would ever say that. The, the person who thinks they are a good person has never even taken the good person test. Do you guys know about the good person test? Some of you know. Let me just go through it with you real quick. This is what I always say to them. You're a good person. Okay, then this should be really easy for you to pass the good person test. Have you ever told a lie? Don't lie now. Oh, yeah, I tell a lie every now and then. Okay, have you ever taken the name of the Lord in vain? Yeah, yeah, I've done that sometimes. Okay, have you ever been covetous or jealous towards somebody else or what they have? Yeah, maybe I've done that. Have you ever taken something that doesn't belong to you, no matter how small? Maybe time from your job you lied. You took some time when you weren't supposed to. Maybe you took a pencil from your work, never gave back something that you borrowed from your friend. Have you ever done that? Yeah, I think I probably have. Okay, have you ever lusted? Have you ever in your heart wanted to have sex with someone you weren't married to? You know, that's when it gets a little awkward, but then they'll be like, yeah. And then, and then I say to them, have you always put God first in everything that you do? You know, do you always make time to pray before your meals? Do you go to church as often as you can? Do you, do you teach the word of God to your children? Is God number one in your life? If I was to follow you around and to try to be a, a private detective, would I find enough evidence to convict you of a Christian? And most people would be like, no, I don't always do that. So then I pull out my phone and I go, okay, so I've gone through about what? Five or six things that we call commands. And how often a day do you think you fail in those? Like, how many times a day do you think you touch on one of those things? And they may say, well, maybe three to four. Maybe three to four I lust or get, you know, get angry, say, take, take the name of the Lord in vain. Or I go, okay, so let's say you do three a day, three times 365. That's 1,000 a year, okay? About 1,095 commands you're breaking. How long have you been doing that for? Well, uh, maybe since I've been 12. Okay. You know, how old are you now? I'm 20. Okay. Well, let's times that by eight. 8,760 violations of God's law. Do you think you're still good? Are you a good person? Not according to this Bible. 
Not according to the word of God. And then I'll say to them, do you know the story of Adam and Eve and how many sins it took to bring us into the mess that we're in now? Spiritual death, death, destruction all over the world. Do you know how many sins it took? They'll say, yeah, uh, how many? I think maybe one with the, you know, the apple or the fruit. They're like, yeah, one. One sin, damnable one sin can cost you heaven. So are you good according to God? No. And then what do I share with them? You want to hear the good news? You're not good, but God is. And the good God loves bad people like you and I. He sent his son to die for us. That cross that we all see, you know, from time to time at churches and different places and jewelry, that cross means that Jesus died for your sins so that you could be forgiven and have a relationship with the Father that you and I have been separated from because of our sins. Would you like to accept Jesus' forgiveness? Do you want to confess your sins? Do you want to declare with your mouth, believe in your heart, Jesus did that? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is your Savior? Okay, then you can be saved. That's what we do. That's what we do as Christians. Should that ever get old? No. So Jesus was going out preaching the gospel, obviously talking about himself. He's the only one that could do that because it was about him. We go and talk about Jesus. Amen. And then we pray for those who have sickness, those who are hurting. We try to meet their needs in any way that we can. We have compassion on them. We help the harassed and the helpless. You may not be able to help everyone, but you can help someone. So let's say you come out to an outreach with us. We generally say never take cash out of your pocket. Don't give it that way. But if they're hungry, Hungry, take them to a restaurant and feed them. If they need clothes, set up a time to meet them at the Salvation Army. We do that all the time. If they're on drugs or homeless, let's connect them to a program. If they need just companionship and friendship, take them out for coffee. How many can do that? Have I mentioned anything that Jesus has done and asked us to pray to be done? Have I mentioned anything that you literally cannot do? Are you able to explain to people the good news of Jesus Christ? Yeah. Are you able to pray for those who are sick? I'm not the healer, but I know him. I can call him up right now. Let's talk to him. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you please heal this person? Compassion. Can you have compassion on people? Can, can you hear their stories and what's going on in their life? Because how many know that a lot of times when arguments are coming against the gospel, it's not a head issue. It's normally a heart issue. You're talking to people who have been hurt in life, and that's why they're hurt. Hurt people hurt people, right? Heal people heal. And so you got to hear what's going on in their life. You know, maybe they got hurt by their family. Maybe a church, you know, really messed them up and made them think that all religion is bad. So you have compassion on them. You know, most people don't choose the path of wickedness just knowing I'm choosing the path of wickedness. I want to go to hell. Even some of the people, like we would say, are the worst. Like, they are there because of a lot of missteps through life and deception. And if you and I can have compassion on them, we can actually hear their story. You know, when we go at Chicago and uh, State Street and go out there and preach, there's a lot of young people. We can smell the drugs. We can see the drugs. Sometimes they fight with each other. We see at times women being sex trafficked and all of those things. We don't just point our finger at them and go, hey, I got bad news for you. You want to know it? You're going to hell. And let me tell you some more bad news. It's going to be really hot there. No, we tell them good news. You know what? God will set you free from this. I always tell them, you working and I'm working too, but I'm working for Jesus and he pays better. 
you know, because I see them out there hustling. And I tell them like that. And then we, we have communication with them. And some of them have been coming to our church. But what? It took compassion. It took us listening to them. Another time from a probably, you know, totally different side of the tracks, different story, I met a Jewish businessman. And him and his partner had some problems. And now they were in court doing all these things. I had compassion on him. Tell me about that. Because he was going back and forth to court. I said, I'd like to pray with you about that, that justice would be done. How many think justice should be done between two partners? How many want to see them both go on and be successful in life? We don't want to see a businessman become an alcoholic, you know, get drunk, kick the dog, or take their own life or whatever, you know. We want to see this situation solved. How many people can do that? We all can do that. There's no reason why we can't see ourselves as an answer to Jesus' prayer. But somebody say, make it personal. Make it personal. Here's now five excuses that people say to me all the time in closing to why they can't do this specifically. They, they might say, Pastor, I can maybe volunteer at King's Kids. I can maybe help Andrew in the back. Let's give it up for Andrew. Andrew, would you wave at us? We love you, my brother, doing all that he does. You might say, you know what, I'm cool with helping out and do those things, but going out and doing what you just talked about, the very thing Jesus prayed for me to do, eh, I don't know if I'm ready yet. Uh, these are the excuses that I normally hear. Uh, number one, they'll actually try to attack the method. Uh, they'll say, man, that was effective in Jesus' day. That was before TV, media, and big buildings where we can all gather together for mega churches and all of that. that. That was effective back then. But it's not effective now. People just think we're crazy when we do it. Well, the thing that I like to respond back to that is if you're thinking that way is when do we get to stop following Jesus' commands? Just because social media is around now, does that mean I don't go and talk to people face-to-face -face at the park? No, let's, let's, let's just ignore everybody at Portage Park. Let's ignore everybody during Halloween trick-or-treating while they're on our streets and in our neighborhood. Let's ignore all that and just do something on Facebook. Let's just, let's just share a meme of a Bible verse today. That's the same. No, it's not. But by the way, how many know you can chew gum and walk at the same time? How many know some of us can do two things at once? You can share a meme on your Facebook, and you can also talk to the trick-or-treater. Why not just open up your door, give out Bible tracts with, with, with candy and tell them Jesus loves them? Or if you're too spiritual for that, just stand in front of your house and do that. You know, why are we always saying it's not effective when Jesus could have picked any time he wanted to come in history and he chose that time? If social media was the grandiose way to reach people, why didn't he come now and be dropping TikToks and different things like that? Why did he pick a time when that would be primary the way they communicated through word of mouth? Was it to show us the importance of relationship? I believe so because no matter how much you can see somebody on TikTok and social media and all of the different apps that they have out now, there's nothing like being in the presence of someone else sharing life together with them. The human touch, the human experience, remember compassion, hugging someone, asking if you can pray for them in person, putting your arm around them and walking with them through troubled times. I get to meet people like that every time when I go out street witnessing and sharing my faith. So just because you don't think it's effective doesn't mean you don't follow the commands. By the way, it has been effective. People like Jared, who came from this community, this neighborhood, have been reached by it. Rudy and others in our church have been reached by it. And let me ask you a question. Would it be worth it if all we saw was Jared? Amen. It's worth it for you. Give it up for Jared. He's had a beautiful baby girl last week. Abigail, just a few days old. It was worth it for him. 
It was worth it for him while we met him out in the community, told him about Jesus. It was worth it for Rudy. Jerry singing up here, it was worth it for her. Many people in our church have been reached that way. Cynthia, you have been reached that way. Sue Ellen reached you at Prosser High School by being in front of your high school. It's not Cynthia worth it. It's not Jared worth, worth it. I mean, are we now saying that a soul is not worth our time and effort? I talk to people all the time, and they say, it's social media, social media. Okay, great. Do social media, but also meet people. Get in people's lives. Number two uh, excuse that I often hear, it's like a countdown. So number four that I hear is, I don't need to be a public witness as long as I witness somewhere. Now, there's some partial truth in that. We should be witnesses everywhere we go. We should witness and share our faith, be workers for God's kingdom with our neighbors. We should do that when we're at the park with our kids chilling. We should do that at the restaurants we're at, being sensitive to who's serving us. So often I keep my heart open at restaurants, and I don't do it always, but oftentimes I'll ask them, hey, we're about ready to pray for the meal because we're Christians. Is there anything we could pray with you about? Did I insult them? Did I put them down? Did I get into a religious discussion with them? No, all I said was to a human being, I'm looking at them more than a robot dropping food for me to stick in my belly. I'm, I'm stopping and taking a moment to be a human, a Christian human, and look at them as a person and say, I pray for this, I thank God for this, and bring up the needs of my friends at this table. Do you have a need? I can probably tell you at least 60, 70% of the times I've done that, someone has said something that would be from the heart. Sometimes they just go, well, just pray for world peace. Okay. But I can tell you a lot of times they say something from the heart. They'll say, you know, my mom's in surgery or just got out or something's going on in my family. Somebody's sick. Will you pray for that person? We pray for them. And then when they come back, we just tell them, we prayed for you. We let, we let God know what's going on in your life, and we're here as Christians. And then we tip them like we would tip somebody that wants to have a, we want to have a good reputation with. We don't do them wrong, in other words. I always tip well, but you know my point there. And I put, I put our church information in there in a little card, and we have all of that for you. But you know what? It's good to also go out and meet strangers. I do that in everyday life. I try to make, you know, neat ways to talk and pray for people, but I also want to do what Jesus did. Jesus went out into the villages. Jesus went out into the marketplaces, to the streets, and said, this is what I'm offering you. And what comes with that? Yeah, probably a little bit more ridicule, because even with the waitress, there's still like a, a line of respect, right? Uh, no, thank you. I don't really believe in God. But you want to see what she really thinks? Preach to her at Logan Square. <laughs> then you'll see what she really thinks. And we need to do both. Does everybody get that? So we just can't say, well, I preach to the waitress. I preach to my coworker. No, you have to put yourself at times where Jesus was. And we're not Jehovah Witnesses here. We're not making you keep a time card because they do that. We're not judging you how much you go out. What we're saying is, are you a worker that's willing to go out and preach to people publicly where there's no line of your job getting in the way? There's no cultural line of, it's my neighbor, let's just stay on good terms. You get to hear where people really are at. And then you get the ability to share what you really think. Because maybe with your coworker, you're, you know, you're holding stuff back. You don't want to talk about the four horsemen of the apocalypse that they're about ready to meet if they don't get right with Jesus before the rapture. You're going to meet the, you're going to meet the horse of death, you know. But maybe in your conversation, you want to explain that to them. Because they may just be like, no, I'm good. And you're like, well, I just want to be very honest with you. There's a book called Revelation that says a bunch of scary stuff that you're going to experience if you don't repent of your sins. Because Jesus is just not a cute little upgrade that you get in life or a subscription that you can do or, you know, do with or without. Christ is all. Okay? So we look to the scriptures 
And Jesus said, I have to keep going to these other places. Jesus made it a part of his life to keep moving around and reaching people. Let's go to the next excuse that people often say. They'll say things like, I know good churches and pastors that don't street witness, so I don't have to either. Okay? So basically what you're now doing, if you hear this, if, the, if you're a person saying this or you hear this from somebody, what, what they are saying is, I have an authority above the word of God that trumps the word of God and makes me feel good. How many believe that there's authorities above the word of God? I don't believe there's an authority above the word of God. So I don't care what a good pastor does. I'm a good pastor and I don't always do things right. The word of God is my authority. Is everybody tracking with me right there? So you may know a great pastor that does great things, and, and they have a great life, and their family's right. They teach sound doctrine, and they may be oblivious to this command of Jesus. My job is not to, uh, to get up in their life and attack other churches. My job as a pastor is to teach you the command. So this is Jesus right here, Luke 10, 1 through 3, because he had more than 12 disciples you're about ready to see here. He had a lot of followers with him. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. How many? 72 others and sent them what? Two by two ahead of him to every town and place he was about ready to go. He told them, the harvest is what? Thank you, but the workers are few. Wow, sounds just like what he was talking about before. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And by the way, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves, so get ready for some crazy stuff to happen. But how many know they went and did it? How many know sometimes you feel like a lamb among a wolf? They get angry. They get upset. Jesus told us it would be like that. But that didn't stop him from sending out the 72. Now imagine you're one of those 72, and Jesus just said this to you, you know, kind of like how we prepare our outreaches and things like that. Imagine if you said back to Jesus, uh, excuse me, Jesus, um, I got a note from my doctor, I mean my pastor over here, uh, that says, I don't have to do this. Uh, this rabbi over here gave me a note that said, I'm excluded from this. Could you even imagine saying that to Jesus? But that's what it sounds like when we hear the word of God compelling us to go, going into the world, being a worker for Christ, and then we say, well, well pastor so-and-so said this. I don't care what pastor so-and-so said. I want to do what Jesus said. Send me out, Jesus, two by two. Yes, Lord, I'm coming. I want us to be a church that is ready to serve God and be an answer to his prayers. The prayer of Jesus. Think about that. We don't see that much in the Bible, him offering up prayers. We see a few. But certainly, whenever he does, it's important. And we need to take this as an important prayer of Jesus. Let's go to the next one. And this is real. Everybody say it's real. I'm not making this up. People will say, I'm too scared to talk to people I don't know. I want to wait till I'm ready. And that's real. I get it. We're all not extroverts. We're all not the kind of people that easily meet other people because we are a little bit shy. We're a little bit inward, etc. My friends, I totally get it. I've been pastoring for over 20 years. I understand personalities. I understand we're all not made the same. And we're not trying to force you to be something that you're not. We're not asking you to ask, to ask the person with the tax sign to let you borrow it and then put John 3.16 on it and spin it on the corner. Now, John 
16 and shake, you know, around to get the cars to stop. I'm not saying that's what you have to do. If that's not your personality and you don't want to do that, you don't have to do that. Matter of fact, we don't really want anybody doing that. But you know the guys I'm talking about, the tax guys that kind of dance with their signs out there and they're the extrovert. They want the whole attention of the, of the cars. You, that's not what we're asking you to do. This is what we're asking you to do. Talk to somebody about Jesus. If you're not able to do that, remember we go back to the two-by-two, we'll have you be with somebody that is able to do that. So can you do this for for the first step? Be with somebody who's talking to somebody about Jesus? Do you see how easy that is? I can be with somebody who's talking to somebody about Jesus and make that my first step because I shouldn't make the excuse, since I'm scared, I don't even want to be with somebody as somebody is talking about Jesus. Do you notice now that's a difference? That's almost like rebellious. Let's say I, I say to my daughter, daughter, do you want to go talk to these people at the park? Because sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. And if they go, no, I don't want to take the lead on this. I say then back to them, cool, come with me and I'll talk to them. And you just be with me. How many know if my daughter says, I don't want to go, now that's a problem. I'm like, you come in. If you want ice cream tonight, you come in. And you're going to sit right there. You, or stand right there. And you're going to watch daddy talk to somebody about Jesus. If you're not ready to, I don't want to force you to. That's fine. But at least come out and talk with people who are talking about Jesus. But you know what? The Bible said for all of us that we would have a shortage of power when it came to this ministry. Remember we talked about like praying for the sick? There's another part of the passage, uh, another reference to this, where he mentions casting out demons. How many got power to do one of those tricks? You know, grab, grab a demon and cast them out. On your own, do you have that power though? No, but how many know there's a promise in the scriptures, Acts 1-8, that you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, for you will be my what? Witnesses. Somebody say witnesses. That's why we call it witnessing. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So all of us, no matter how extrovert we are, no matter how good we are at debating and conversating or getting to know people as a people person, we're all going to run to and empty on our tank of power when it comes to the great ask of God here. I, I am E. I am right on E when it comes to power to cast out a demon. On my own, I have zero power, but how many know the Holy Spirit has all the power I need? I can't even heal a cold. How many know I can't heal any of those things? I'm, my, my, I'm on E, but God's got the power to do it. All I have to do is accept the power and be a witness for him. And then the last one that I hear, kind of like the greatest you know, excuse, you know, countdown here, is that I hear this more probably than anything else, is that people say, well, it's just not my calling. They have now gotten so spiritual. Somebody say spiritual. Thank you. They've gotten so spiritual that now they find ways out of God's commands. It's like you've read the Bible just enough, Bubba, to mess this thing up. Okay, because now you know what a calling is. Now you know how people have different callings. You've read that there's, you know, different people in the Bible doing different things. And now you're messing this up because you don't understand this. We are not saying it is your calling to be an evangelist in the sense that an evangelist is a leader in the church teaching evangelism, leading the big events, and being in front of people as a consistent example of how to do it. We are not saying that is everybody's calling, and thank God for it. Because if we were all just doing that, who is going to pastor? Who is going to teach? Who is going to administrate? And these are other gifts in the body of Christ, right? Who is going to do all of those other things? No, we're not saying that you have to 
be in position a church-appointed evangelist. What we are saying is like what Paul said to Timothy, who was a pastor. Look at it, 2 Timothy 4, 5. He said to him, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of a what? An evangelist. Do the work of who? An evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. How many here, and, and if you're, you know, hopefully you're not too shy to raise your hand, but how many of you get paid to cook for a living? Do we have any cooks in the house? Anybody that works at a restaurant? One cook. Let's give it up for our brother. If you get hungry, go see him. We got a cook, a cook in the house. Okay. How many of you do the work of a cook when you feed yourself? <laughs> you do the work of a cook, don't you? You do the work of a cook because you got to feed yourself. You do that work. You go to your refrigerator just like he does. You go to your oven, your stove, just like he does. But what's the difference? That's not your full-time gig. That's not what your calling is, in other words. We're thankful that there's cooks. We're thankful that there are people doing what you're doing or what I'm doing. I mean, we all are a beautiful rainbow in the church. The body of Christ, as the Bible says. But this is something we are always to remember. We all do the work of an evangelist. We all do the work of one by going out, sharing our faith. So don't become so spiritual that you have now become more Christian than Christ. Because Christ could have said, that's not my calling. I'm called to be the Lamb of God and just die for everybody. I don't need to do all the rest of this. Just sacrifice me at, you know, 15 years old and save me all the time. No, Jesus did the work of an evangelist. He spread his own message. He didn't have to do that. He could have sat in the palace. He could have said, you guys, you, 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 you just go and do everything. Jesus showed us by example that we may have different callings in life, but we are all to humble ourselves and go out into the community and maybe suffer their ridicule, be made fun of at times, but to go there and show our love, have compassion, reach out and pray for them, and make sure everybody has face-to-face -face encounters with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen? Let's give it up for Jesus today as you stand up and get ready to go to the harvest field. Amen. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? There's an outreach tonight. There's an outreach tomorrow. If you want to be added to our outreach group at Chicago for Jesus on Facebook, please look it up and then talk to Jared if you have questions. As we close out with this scripture, I want to tell, uh, share my heart one more time with you. I am grateful for every one of you here. If you'd never do a thing for us, I'm still glad that you came. I really am. As a pastor, I'm like a host. You know, if you come to my house, you don't have to cook. You don't have to clean. I'm just glad that you came. How many are good hosts like that? You come to, come to your house, right? I don't need to cook. I don't need to clean. You guys will do all of that, but you want to be nice to me. That's how I am in this church. You don't have to do it. You're right. You don't have to do it. We will serve you as long as you come through those doors. Consider this your church. We'll never say, hey, uh, you're dropping at uh, King's Kids. We'll never say, hey, uh, are you a tither at our church? Uh, do you volunteer? Because if you don't tithe and volunteer, you can't drop off. No, we'll never make it awkward like that. So I want to be clear. You're welcome in this house. Well, no matter what uh, you do back in this house as a worker, you're welcome, okay? But I want to ask you this. Do you see Jesus as your example? Do you want to be like Jesus? Do you want to be a worker like how Jesus was? And at the end of uh, one of these parables Jesus was talking about, he said, you know, 
I invited everyone to come to my wedding banquet, but they didn't come. So he says to his servants, look at it, Matthew 22, 9. He said, so go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. You see, sometimes I meet pastors who say, man, I'm too good to go on the streets, Joe. I'm too good to do that. You know what? Jesus is too good to keep inside this building. I have to go to the street corners. I have to tell everyone I find about his great banquet. So people think they're too good. No, no, God is too good to just keep it in these four walls. So the servants went out. How many servants do I have in the house today? Jesus told this parable to inspire us. Be encouraged. It says, so the servants went out into the what? The streets. Where did they go? To the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. In other words, they didn't judge them in the worldly stance, a sense of bad and good. It didn't matter. If you were willing to come and do what it took to come, everyone's invited. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. How many want to see this church filled with guests? How many want to see the vision come to pass where we reach tens of thousands of people? We plant churches around the city. We want to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we hear the words today of Jesus speaking to our hearts, compelling us to be workers. We pray for that today that you will send forth workers into the harvest field starting with us. Just in these few moments before we dismiss, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus yet, decide to come follow him. Confess him as the Lord of your life. Confess your sins. And if you need help with that, you can start to come even here to the front and other brothers and sisters will pray with you. But don't leave out of here without accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior. For the rest of us, come on, let's think of right now what we can do to put in work for the kingdom of God and just say, Lord, use me. Use me as your servant. What can you do to dedicate to the outreaches that are coming up this winter? What can you do in this season of your life? And it doesn't always have to be at our organized events. There are tons of you I know just throughout the week you gather in smaller groups and you go and minister. We're going to dismiss in prayer, but if you as well want to be prayed for power or you want to be given uh, the strength to know how to do this and you want to lift it up to God, we'll pray with you. And God will give you his power. God will give you his strength. But before we go, let's pray on our own. Let's think about our communities. Let's think about our schools, our, our businesses. Let's think about all the different religions represented in our city and see how to reach them. Have you ever been to Belmont and Clark and reached the gay community? I'll tell you what, you'll have a lot of compassion. Have you ever been to Devon and preached to the Southeast Asian Muslim community? You'll have a lot of compassion. Have you ever been to a park? Have you ever been to a high school? Come on, ask God to use you a few more moments, just you and God. He's your master, I'm not. I'm just asking you to hear what he's saying to you today as you pray for laborers. Even now, some of you want to come and join those up here. Go ahead. We'll dismiss with a worship song and prayer. But I really want this to settle in our hearts today. God wants to use us for his glory. Few moments right now, God. God, I pray for the high schools to open up. If not 
just for the purpose for us to preach to them again. I so miss going to the high schools, oh Lord. Do you have a heart for the unborn? Join us when we go to Planned Parenthood. Do you have a heart for the West Side? Join us when we go out and do things in the West Side. Few moments, pray. You may not be able to do everything, but you can do something. You may not be able to help everyone, but you can help someone. And most of all of our ministries have a form of outreach. You want to reach children? Join the King's Kids and watch what they do this Halloween season for God in the next, next Wednesday. How they go to the community and ask people to come out to our little event that we have here. Maybe you want to reach teenagers. Watch how they go out to the parks and areas around here. Or the life group you attend. Ask the life group leader what times do they go out to their neighborhood and invite their friends. Father, may we not grow weary in well-doing. May we all put our hands to the plow and not look back and be workers in the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Can you bless the Lord of the harvest today? He's going to bring in the harvest through you. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Come on up for prayer or worship with us. Otherwise, you are dismissed. We're going to see you, right? Hopefully, we'll see you soon at one of these outreaches. God bless you.